Let's just sit here for a minute. You can close your eyes if you want to. Just want to sit in his presence just for a minute. The fact that we this morning are able to know the king of the universe. To hear from him. To have our eyes opened, our ears opened. Not some regional deity, but the Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, we worship you this morning. Just to add to what Sarah said, we, we pray that you would stir our hearts to value you above all things. The things that are dear to your heart would be ours. Take your word and make it alive in us today so that we can be who you died for us to be. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We will finish chapter 2 this morning, and uh, we will take about a three-week break from the book of Acts. And uh, Justin next week is going to be preaching on Christmas, and then we got a Christmas shindig going down on December 19th, y'all. You got to be here. Breakfast, kids are singing. We're singing Christmas carols. Like, we pay Daniel money so that he'll sing Christmas carols. Just kidding. Hey, oh, come, oh, come. That was good this morning, wasn't it? And I'm, I'm affirming Daniel. Uh, he, sometimes he feels that Christmas carols aren't in, his, uh, aren't in his wheelhouse, and I'm just like, no, dude, sing it. That was awesome. So uh, we, we're going to have, you can take Christmas pictures. We're going to hang out. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be telling you a little later uh, in this message, one of the things, special things we're going to be doing um, on, uh, on December 19th. Anyway, and then uh, and Justin will preach the last Sunday of this year, and we'll start back in Acts when January comes. Acts chapter 2, I was walking from my office over through uh, the kids' wing, and I had my mic kind of in my hand, and it was, it was really funny, and you just got to understand the dynamic here. There's, there's people that are serving your family right now because they take care of your kids, and so Justin and I always have, you know, it's, it's always the one that preaches has an inter- interesting relationship with the kids' Worker, so I'm coming through, and they see the mic in my hand, and it was kind of like somebody was whispering, and somebody was like, "Oh, you're preaching this morning." I, I told y'all are in the passage last week in Acts two. You know, my life verses. Peter, it says that Peter, with many more words, exhorted them. And so I turned around. It was a joke. We get that. And, and they were loving on me by doing that. And I said, you know what? I only preach like, you know, six, seven, eight minutes longer than Justin. And one of them looked at me and said, do you realize how much longer six, seven, or eight minutes are over here? Anyway, <laughs> Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, great stuff. Well, you know, and, and what we're going to see is, I love that because... Our passage here this morning is about the church. That's what it's about. And let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll kind of look at the context of it, and then we'll dive off into the passage itself. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, or 41. Let's go back to 41. 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings 
and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the end of chapter 2. And just real quick, let's recap just for a moment. I'm going to put it all up there at once. But you can see how we've been building towards this moment. This passage is what Luke uses many times in the book of Acts. These are called summaries. We had one back in chapter 1, verse 14. We'll have another at the end of chapter 4. We'll have another in the middle of chapter 5. And what he does is he moves from this one day. So chapter 2, 1 through um, 37 has been, or 1 through 41 has been like one day. And then he kind of zooms out and in six verses he says, this is what happened over a period of time. And so he will use these summaries. So what we interpret this passage to be is the days following the day of Pentecost, maybe moving into multiple months, possibly into a few years. And this passage before us this morning describes the early church in all of her infant glory and power and life. Now, this is what has happened leading up to this. This is our recap. So remember chapter two, they were waiting on the Holy Spirit. Jesus had gone up, and in chapter 2, what happens? Jesus pours the Spirit out, and the Holy Spirit falls on the believers. As a result, the crowd gathers, and what does Peter do? He doesn't preach heaven. (laughs) He doesn't preach blessing. He doesn't preach prosperity. What does he preach? He preaches Christ. And as a result of him preaching Christ, they are convicted because they had rejected Messiah. They interrupt the message because Luke doesn't give us the entire message. I just joked earlier, but he does say in verse 40 that with many more words. So it's almost as if the crowd was under so much conviction, they stopped the message and they shouted to Peter and the apostles, what shall we do? And what we looked at last week was what he told them to do. What do we do? Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. It's not just turning from something, it's turning to someone believe on the Lord Jesus. And last week we we saw where baptism doesn't save us, but our repentance and faith is expressed in baptism. Repentance and faith happen in the human heart. But baptism happens publicly, where we publicly identify with what Jesus has done for us and what the Spirit has done in us. Our first verse this morning, it says that those who received his word were baptized. So these new believers, these 3,000 new believers were joined with these 120 believers. And then the rest of our passage this morning, what we see, and this is kind of the, 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 the term I want to use, the marks of the first church. The marks of the first, this is important, local church. The first local church in the book of Acts is at Jerusalem. Throughout the book of Acts, we will see the gospel spread, the kingdom spread, believers go out, and local churches are established all over the place. But the thought came through my mind this week that Peter preaches and the Holy Spirit falls and the people get under conviction and all of a sudden, 3,000 people respond to the message. Now, at that time, they they probably figured out it was 3,000 later. You know, that was the actual number later. But just this mass, we want to believe, we want to be baptized. And the thought that went through my mind that may have gone through the mind of Peter and James and John and Andrew and all the other dudes Or, okay, what now? 
almost like, Lord, you said you were going to pour out your spirit, and that's awesome. And we proclaimed your son, and that's awesome. But what the heck do we do now? Can you, can you sense almost the overwhelming sense of like, like, what do we do? Like, how do we, do we organize? Because there's no books written on this. There's no eight ways to better reach your city in print. There's no church growth strategies in place. And think about it in this sense. You got four fishermen. So what is that? 25% or 33% of the disciples are fishermen. So you can sense the fact that, okay, we just caught a ton of fish. What do we do next? And there's this weight upon them. And what's awesome is, is that you see these disciples and the early church rolling up their sleeves and getting after it. Now, fr- Friday morning, I got, called, I got called out of the bullpen Thursday, Thursday morning to be the sideline reporter for the TV broadcast of the 3A state title game Friday morning. I've never done that before. I didn't know what I was doing. So I showed up. I didn't get a script. I got, I got a spreadsheet on my phone. And they gave me an earpiece, so I kind of felt like, you know, somebody on Fox or CBS doing an NFL, but it didn't work. And so I couldn't hear anything. It's connected, the, the, the broadcast is connected to the guys in the booth, and so whenever they want to throw it down to me, you know, I stand there with a microphone and, and I talk. Well, I couldn't hear them. So at halftime, and we got through it, you know, so at halftime, I go back to one of the audio guys and I say, hey, bro, like this pack doesn't work. Like it's just, it doesn't work. And he listened to it. He's like, yeah, dude, that's hot garbage. Like it's not supposed to be like that. He said, give me your pack and, uh, and let me fix it. Well, it got delayed a little bit and I had to go back on the field and interview a coach. And I said, hey man, like I got to go back in like a minute and go interview this coach. He's like, don't worry, bro, dude, just give me your pack. Stick your, uh, your earpiece in your ear so that it looks like you've got one on television and just roll with it and I'll come bring it to you. Okay. He never brought me my pack back. And I had to do these interviews in the second half. So I'm standing there, and my camera guy, who has his earphones in, he's looking at me, and I guess you know people will know now, but don't tell anybody, like, this is what happened, okay? He's sitting there with the camera, and he will just give me a thumbs up. And when he gives me the thumbs up, that means go, because I'm, I'm like, I, I'm flying blind. And we pulled it off. At that moment, I'm on the sideline saying, this is the first time I've ever done this. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't have a script. I don't have any audio. And all my trust is in a thumb that goes like this. I was getting texts left and right. Hey, dude, you look good. And I want to say, bro, you don't understand what's going on. And this same sense is what I feel in the disciples. Like, like what do we do? Like, like, how all these people are given to us. All these people are entrusted to us. What do we do? I'm so thankful that really in this moment, y'all, all they had was the teachings of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It was enough. What are the marks of this local church? I want you to see first, the first mark we find in this passage is devotion. And they devoted themselves. The Greek there literally means to give consistent attention to something. So they were devoting themselves. You can say in verse 42, and they, that's a reference back to the 3,000 that have believed. 
So these new believers are devoting themselves. But when we read the whole passage, it's pretty obvious that it wasn't just these new believers. It was the other believers, the 120 who were in Christ before these 3,000. They are devoting themselves. They are giving themselves to something. Now we have listed for us specifically four different areas that they were devoted to. And these marks are important to see that these are spiritual in nature. This is spiritual things that were happening. And the danger, y'all, listen to me, the danger of the American church with all the blessings that she has, with technology, with budgets, with financial assets, is that we depend on everything but God. Tozer said one time, it's not our possession of toys that gets us in trouble. It is our utter dependence upon them. And you can see here what they really are devoted to, what they give their thought to, what they give their mind to, their heart to, their soul to, what the people are coming for. Now that's really good, isn't it? What was it? First, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the content of what the apostles were teaching? Well, first and foremost, it would have been the teaching or the commands of Jesus. Remember in the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So what they were teaching and what these people were devoting themselves to was the teachings of Jesus and probably what Jesus had taught the disciples during the 40 days between resurrection and ascension. So what I love about this is that the apostles are mailmen. They are simply passing on the message. They're not coming up with their own thing. There's no book in the Bible called Second Opinions, okay? It's in a lot of churches, but it's not in the scripture, okay? They're just simply passing on the word. They're passing on what Jesus said. And so these believers are giving themselves to it. Isn't it interesting that this is mentioned first? Now, I know I'm a preacher, so I'm biased in this, but, but I, think this is my, I think this is my reason to be this way. The number one reason that the church gathers together is to hear and obey the word of God. That's it. Justin and I laugh sometimes, like, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but like, they plan out a service and they give 15 minutes for the word. And I'm just like, dude, I can't eat a Pop-Tart in that time. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and and, and to, to reference my, my, my brothers and sisters that are serving this morning, you know one of the reasons they do serve? is because they know, let me say this humbly, they know that what we aim to teach from this stage is not the opinion of men, it's the word of God. And they want you to be able to hear it. They want to serve your family in such a way. And so the jokes do come, man, y'all preach a long time. But you know what? I'd rather go somewhere and have too much on my plate than go away hungry because I didn't get anything at all. The apostles teaching the word of God. I've been amazed in the book of verse uh, two chapters of Acts, like all the things we've covered. 
Like we didn't like dip into a hat and be like, what do we talk about this morning? It's just the gambit. When you go through the word verse by verse, not only do all the issues come up that you know you need to discuss, but it's amazing how sovereignly and providentially how, where your church is, where your hearts are, and where the word is given for that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's primary. But secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, the word fellowship here in the Greek literally means in, it means partnership or participation, a, a sharer. And so what you see is, is as these people were listening to the word of God and hearing the word of God, they were sharing and participating with each other in that. They were basically bringing their life and their family to the common table of this early church. They were fellowshipping. Now we'll see later in the message how the dimensions of this, but they were basically saying, I am opening myself up to share my life with you. Like y'all are my tribe. Like y'all are my people. And I'm not just going to be a consumer. I'm going to actually share. And that's, that's difficult in the, in the life of the local church. I was thinking through this message this week about how, how tough it is to, because you can't fake fellowship, Right? How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Oh, we fellowship. No, we didn't. We, our force field just bounced off each other. That's all that happened. But what you see here is they were devoted. They were willing to work at sharing themselves. Third, it says they were devoted to meals and communion. Now, let's, let's look at this phrase here. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the early Christians had something they would call, it's called the love feast or the agape feast, and they would come together and they would share meals together. We'll see that later in this passage. Now, it does mean that, that they were sharing meals because Justin's walked us through that earlier this year, but there is something that happens when we share a meal with each other. It allows us to be able to sit, in our culture especially, in a place for an extended period of time, and hopefully we put our cell phones down or stick them away where we actually look at people and, and socially interact with people. You people under, under 20, there are, there are human beings in this world and you can interact with them. It's an amazing thing. Maybe under 32, maybe like me, under 40. Anyway, they were committed to spending time together. But specifically, this term, the breaking of bread, can also refer to as the Lord's Supper. Commentators say that this was Luke's way of basically using Paul's term, the Lord's Supper. And so they were taking communion. You say, well, we ain't took communion in a long time. We know, and, and we've been trying, okay? So December 19th, we're going to take communion together. And then this week, guess what we did? We planned out for all of next year that we're going to take communion together once a month. I expected somebody to clap when we said that. Okay, anyway, yeah, there we go. All right. So, so this is how it's going to work, okay? This is, this is how my brain works and Justin's brain works and Ryan and Daniel came on board with it too, so hopefully you'll catch it too. If it's an odd month, third Sunday. If it's an even month, fourth Sunday, okay? So third Sunday in January, guess what we got? Communion. Because we, we were joking about it, staff, so we were like, dude, this text is forcing our hand. Like, we got to have communion, Right? And you know what? We planned out communion for the year. Why? Because the word says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So that's why we're going to do it. Because we need to be brought before our minds all the time. Jesus died for us. He rose for us. And he's coming back for us. And that's what they did. It was a continual reminder. Well, shouldn't we do it more than that? Or is that too much? Look, Paul, he didn't want you to get legalistic about it. He says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance. 
And so as often surely implies to do it, you know, more often than less often, but they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They also, it says here, they were devoted to prayer. But notice there's a definite article there, and the prayers. If you flip over to chapter 3, verse 1, it says Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And so these new believers who were Jewish, or at least some were proselytes and had converted to Judaism, they were still in Jerusalem going up to the temple because they saw their temple worship. Now it came alive now that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so there was this aspect that they were continuing in some Jewish practices because they saw Jesus as their Messiah. But this also shows you kind of the lifeblood of the local church, that when they got together, they prayed. And so, you know, I've started asking myself, you know, how is prayer a corporate expression in our life? And so we, we, we wanted to, to start doing gospel reach where we intentionally pray, but not just more than that. It's an opportunity for us to pray together. But it's not just a, a, a corporate opportunity like that. I hope that in your small groups, guess what? That you're praying for things together. Something we prayed for, um, small group on Wednesday. I, I heard yesterday the Lord, the Lord did awesome, right? He always does awesome, but like specifically, then like two days, like the prayer got answered. We're like, yeah. And you see how, how that is? When there's a devotion to prayer, there's always this upward dependence. That's what I see the disciples. They're like, you know, in public, like, man, we're so great. 3,000 of y'all. This is awesome. And like when they're just meeting behind closed doors, dude, what are we going to do? All right, let's pray. Lord, we don't know. Aren't you thankful that James... One says that we can ask for wisdom and God doesn't hold it against us when we ask for wisdom. So good, isn't it? And so the lifeblood of this church was corporate prayer. They, they prayed. The mark of a healthy church is a praying church. Can I just leave you with this statement? Our devotion is seen by our time, our money, and our presence. What we're devoted to shows up. And what we do, it shows up in how we spend our money. And it shows up where we show up. The church of Jesus in Acts chapter 2 was not a flaky church. It wasn't a bunch of frosted flakes that came and good as they pleased. But they didn't show up and they weren't devoted because they had a guilt trip that they needed to be. These people were so overwhelmed by who Jesus was, that's what drove their devotion. In our life, I think sometimes there, there is those, you know, different emotions that we feel and they almost provide like a trap net. Like, like man, I don't want to go to small group tonight. Like, you know, we ain't even done homework yet. And, and I get, there's like nights that happen like that. I get that, okay? But the exception should be that I not gather with God's people. The exception should be that I don't devote myself to the Word of God. The exception should be that I, that I am not praying. It's, that should be normative in our life. The normal aspect of our life is, is that we fight. Our flesh wants devotion. Our flesh wants to be devoted to the things of the world, and we have to die to that and reckon ourselves dead to that. And it's very encouraging that these people with all are absent of all the things that we have, how they were devoting themselves to the simple basics of the faith. And it was 
enough. That brings us to Mark number two, which is pretty incredible. Mark number two is awe and expectation. Awe and expectation. So they're devoting themselves to the word, to each other, to meals and communion, to praying. And notice in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now the word awe there is the Greek word phobos, which, which can, means fear. I mean, that's, that's, what it, that's the word for fear, to be afraid. But it's also used in this sense. And so the word awe here means like reverent honor. It basically means to be like blown away at something that's happening that you almost just kind of sit there in amazement, astonishment, like speechless. Like you can't, you're, you're overwhelmed at what has just happened or you're sitting in the middle of something that you're overwhelmed by that you, it just causes you to be astonished and speechless. Now notice what it says, that all came upon every soul. Now this would mean those in the believing community in the church and check this out those outside in Jerusalem that weren't believers yet. So what that means is that what was happening, the believers didn't yawn at it. Oh, well, God's God. (sighs) Old Peter's going to open up the Old Testament today and teach me something. There was this atmosphere of amazement that they were included in what God was doing. This American arrogance that because I showed up, now things are going to happen. This early Christian humility is, wow, who am I that God even thought of me to bring me to himself? But what's amazing is the community took notice. The people could not ignore what was happening. Although they were not believing in Jesus as Messiah, they couldn't ignore the fact that there was this group of people that claimed he was Messiah. Don't we really long for the day that the church of Jesus locally, that the community sees what God's doing? Seems like we, we, we sell ourselves out so that they'll notice us. And so what happens is when we do that, we water down the message. <laughs> we, we water down the scripture. We water down what it means to be a Christian because we're over here desperately trying to get the world's attention. See, the New Testament way is that God does a work in us that's so awesome and life-giving and powerful that he starts living his life through us that, guess what? We, we got their attention, not because we're waving at it, but because we're right with God and God's doing that work in us. That's the difference. Seems as if those that sell out to God are the ones that he sets on fire for the world to see. And I think I said this before, you don't have to advertise a fire. Many people have said that before. You don't have to advertise a fire, do you? Don't we want to be a local church where people say, man, yeah, I know that dude. I work with him and he ain't the perfect dude ever, but man, that dude's on fire. And that, that, that group of people, they got them little CP stickers on their car. Don't know what's going on out there, man, but something's going on. But it's not going on just when we're in a building. It's going on as we are spread out all over the place, too. You see, what was it? There was a reverent fear about them. So when you were around the people of God, there was this 
in one sense, this ordinary bit, flesh and blood, normal, Monday mornings like everybody else. But when you're around them, there was a little something different. There was a reverence for God. There was an honor of God. There was something deeper than just surface level, and the community took notice of it. But I think this, this comes also the text doesn't explicitly say this, but it, it comes along with this all. There was a holy expectation among them. Because when you believe that God is capable of doing what only God can do, then guess what? You start expecting him to do that. You know what the verse says right after that? All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Stuff was happening. And I get the fact that this is a unique time. I get that. And I get the fact that there's no capital A apostles anymore. And I get the fact that any man or any woman that walks around and thinks they can do apostolic signs at will like the apostles, I get that that's heretical and we should reject that. I get that. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it should seem if if he was their Messiah and he's our Messiah, and if he's their God and he's our God, they kind of built into our DNA as a church is that we expect God to do stuff that only can be explained by God. And so when we gather in his name, or when we leave this place and we scatter to our different lives in the midst of ordinary up and down roller coaster weeks, we still have this expectation that sometime during the week, God's going to do something that can only be explained by God. It's this expectation. I think also what this means is that there was a God defining and God glorifying ministry through them. So then when you looked at what was happening, somebody's like, well, Peter didn't pull that off. And I think it's not just signs and miracles. The very fact that these disciples didn't have a like panic attack and break down and the church fracture and split because they were so overwhelmed is a testimony that God was doing the work, right? Can I ask you a question? What in our lives and what in our church can only be explained by God? What in our lives and what in our church can only be explained by God so that in a way only he gets the glory for it? And I'm asking myself as a pastor and I'm asking my fellow pastors, and I'm asking fellow people, how much of what we do as a church can only be explained by us? Yeah, they could have pulled that off. Yeah, they could do that. And I get the fact, like, Planning a worship service. Like, I get that. It takes a lot of work. Our band shows up early this morning. They showed up this week. I get all that. And, and that's the human side. And we'll see the human side here in just a minute in the text. But ultimately, if the mark of the local church is the best that man can do, guess what? She's not being the church. It's in the midst of us doing all that we can do, but being dependent on God that God starts working. Let me give you an example of this. At a previous church I served at, I just started wanting to get men to pray. So we'd show up early on Tuesday mornings and Thursday mornings and Sunday mornings. And sometimes it'd be me and one other dude. Sometimes it would be more. But I remember there was a season where many men started to show up more than the usual. And we started praying and asking God to do things that could only be explained by God. 
Like, like God work in such a way that when something happens, people are like, they didn't pull that off. So we've been praying this way for two or three months. And I get an email and it's from a guy I don't know. He says, hey, I need to meet with you. Okay. I'm like, what is this about? You know, he's, so we planned a time. It was like a Thursday of a week. And he came to my office, sat down. He's like, you don't know me. Have you ever seen me? No, man, I don't, I don't know. What's going on? He's like, I, I just need to, I need help. Okay, what's going on? He's like, I can't explain it, man. But like Sunday night, I went to bed an atheist. And Monday morning, I woke up and I had this great just impression that I needed God and I need help. Okay. I mean, the Lord just kind of put that one on the T for you. You know what I'm talking about? I'm convinced, and he got converted. He was, he baptized him. I, I, was, I was convinced that that was the result of asking God to do something that can only be explained by God. You, you see this all in expectation, that if he is who he is, then he's capable of doing what he could do. And I'm not saying that we measure our success or our health as a church by like signs and wonders. I'm not saying that. Because sometimes offering a cold cup of water in his name and being led to do that and being led to serve in charity in a place where nobody sees it, there's no fireworks and there's no smoke or taking somebody in your home and loving on them and care for them. Guess what? That's just as God glorifying and spirit empowered as anything. I, I just want you to see that. But at the end of the day, how much of what we do can be defined by God only, where he alone receives the glory. That's what we see. Third mark, sacrificial unity. Sacrificial unity. Verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. I want you to notice, though, in verse 44, it says, and all who believed were together. Let me just make this statement real quick. Unity is, is, is impossible without the new birth. <laughs> they asked one pastor one time, he said, pastor, how many churches do you uh, pastor? He goes, I pastor four churches. Four churches? Really? Where are they? He says, they're under the same roof. You'll get that at lunch. Somebody one time wanted to redecorate a sanctuary, a.k.a. World War V, right? So they wanted the carpet to be a specific color, but there were people that wanted it to be red, and there were people who wanted it to be blue, and they couldn't you know, get something going. So they just drew a line down the, the, the middle aisle here and put red over here and blue over here. And if you were a blue carpet person, you sat on the blue side. And if you are a red carpet person, you sat on the red side. The church might as well change their name because... God ain't going to do nothing with that. And can I just emphasize this also? We see this early church. It is those who believed that were added to this church. Church membership is only for believers. It's not a social club. It's a living community of people born again. But you see this unity created. They're devoting themselves. God is working, and they believe, and so they are together and they have all things in common. I found that to be an interesting statement because these people had nothing in common. The only thing they had in common was is that they were Jews. Oh, by the way, they weren't all Jews because the text told us earlier in chapter two that they were proselytes. Well, they were all from, you know, Jerusalem. No, the apostles or the disciples were from Galilee. Well, they were all kind of from, no, they were from different places, 
Remember, I, we drew that map a couple weeks ago. And in the first few years of the church, probably a lot of the 3,000 probably went back to their homes. And guess what? God planted churches there. But if you look at this unity, it's pretty amazing that verse 44 happens. It says they were together and they had all things in common. Did they really have all things in common? On the surface, nope. Jesus was the only thing that could bring these people together. The only common interest these people had together was Jesus. What were they united in? First, they were united to the person and mission of Christ. That's it. Different parts of life, different jobs, different skills, different cultural backgrounds in some sense. And on Pentecost, the Lord brings all these people together. And they pastor, he hands them off to his disciples and the 12 first apostles were the 12 first pastors. And man, they have a melting pot of people. At these football games this weekend, last night it was a maroon tide that played a green wave, okay? So you had two distinct colors. You had maroon, which this is a joke, causes me to break out in hives occasionally. I had to love you. I can roll the green because West Charles, but I was just like, it was like maroon and green. And within those maroon crowd and that green crowd was all these different people from different places. But they had one thing in common was those kids on that team on the field. And that one team on the field with all those kids brought all these people together and they wore the same colors. That's the way it is in the church. We have nothing in common but Jesus. And he's enough to bring us together. Isn't that good? Because the deepest part of us is connected. And so if the deepest part of us is connected, all the surface stuff, guess what? We just learn to live with it. We learn to get past our differences because at the surface, we may not have anything in common, but deep down, the same work done in me is the same work done in you. The Jesus to who Jesus is to you is who Jesus is to me. And what Jesus has called me to do, he's called you to do. And so they were united around who Jesus was. But verse 45, really challenging verse. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. You see, they were united to the people of Christ with sacrificial generosity. I got to thinking about this. Now, let me just tell you what this verse doesn't mean because that helps you understand what it does mean. Like this is some, some people that like to copy and paste Bible verses will tell you that the early church, this was socialism or, or the beginnings of communism. I want you to notice there's no governing authority there that is seizing property and collecting it into a pool for everyone else to be distributed. Nothing's being taken by force. Everything's being offered in love and that's the difference. Nothing is coming and saying, and even the apostles there are saying, hey, you need to give us that. You know, in, in Acts chapter four, Barnabas comes of his own willing spirit and donates land. Nobody compels that dude. Nobody puts that dude on a guilt trip. He offers it freely. So this, this is not like some socialistic utopia. Socialism and utopia, those are like contradictory terms. This is the church because Jesus freely gave himself they're now being like Jesus and freely giving themselves. Why would they do this? I wrote a few things down. They won't be on the screen. But I wrote down, they valued people more than stuff. They valued each other because they were paid for by Christ and Christ had purchased them together. 
They were saying, this possession belongs to me, but in actuality, you belong to me, and I belong to you because we belong to Christ, so I will value you more than I value this. They were generous to the point of sacrifice. God's people mattered to Christ, and so God's people mattered to them. Let me just tell you the biggest challenge sometimes in church leadership. How in the world do we really get people to love and interact and be united with each other? Because, you, again, you can't fake that. You can't fake that. It's hard because you get a bunch of people just sitting around a table. They don't have anything in common, but they're there because somebody told them they needed to be there. So while they're there, they just, yes, we're here. We'll salute the system and we'll do this. And yeah, and then everybody leaves and it was like, yeah, I was in the same room as them, but we were in a galaxy far, far away from each other. You been there? You know what I'm talking about? So how do you foster that? You really can't until each one of us realizes that we are spiritually connected to each other. And so therefore we should value each other because God values us. So here's a challenge. If you're an older couple in this church, pick out a younger couple that you don't know. Take them out to eat. They'll take you up on it, I promise. <laughs> and do the awkward bit. We don't know each other. We'd love to take you out to eat. And do the awkward bit. The first 15 minutes at the... You're, you're, scraping your plate around, trying to find some common interest and just acknowledge it. We don't have very much in common, but we love you and let's get to know each other. As Americans, we're so afraid of awkwardness and that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, right? Flip it around. If you're a younger couple, idea a couple older than you and say, you may not be able to say, we'd like to take you out to eat because you can't, right? But <laughs> we'll go Dutch, you know, just we want to hang out with y'all. Reach out and get to know someone. In the next... I know it's Christmas coming up, so let me extend it a month. In the next month, six weeks, what if you intentionally got to know somebody here that you don't know? Homework, there you go. In whatever way you want to see it spelled out. That's how unity's created. It's not that we organize events for y'all just to kind of bounce off each other. They would just get to get to know each other. It's not rocket science. Because here's the truth here. Our treatment of Christ's people shows our value of Christ. Our treatment of Christ's people shows our value of Christ. If I'm seeing you as less, then guess what? I'm not valuing Jesus high. How I treat his people shows what I think of him. Finally, let me go through this one pretty quick. What we see is, finally, the fourth mark is daily faithfulness. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I love this. Because you kind of see the dimensions and how these things work themselves out. Where was the devotion? Where was the prayer? Where was the fellowship taking place? Well, it was taking place publicly because they were gathering in public. And what were they gathering in public to do? They were gathering in public to, to praise, to worship, attending the temple together, 
And then it says they were praising God. They were having favor with all the people. So they were in public. They were gathering in public. One commentator I read this week, this was a great point. He said, you know why they went to the temple so much? Was because that's where they could witness other Jews. (laughs) They were hanging around lost people. They were hanging around people that didn't know Jesus yet. And so they were going to gather in public and invite other people and be around other people so they could minister and so they could worship. We're also gathering in homes for fellowship. And this is a small group model. Don't need to walk back through it. But this is why during the week we meet in homes. We're thankful that people open their homes. I'm thankful that people cook food in their homes. Emily Nowell made some really good, was that gumbo, Josh? I don't know what, it was good. Yeah, I ate it. Me and Ben Whitbigler may have eaten three bowls of it. Yeah, it was really good. Because we gather and then we scatter and we meet together and encourage each other and love on each other and hear from each other and talk about God's word together and catch up and talk about how bad our Wednesday was. All that. It's a public aspect. It's a private aspect. And notice what it says here at the end of verse 46. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. The best way that I could just describe this expression was that they were living in joyful obedience to Jesus. What an honor it is to know the Messiah. What what an honor it is to be a part of his people. What an honor it is to be a part of his church. And y'all, I get the fact that this is a special time in church history. And I get the fact, and and I'm not just trying to copy and paste and everything here, but, but I am saying that the principle here is that we should not be overwhelmed with all the physical things and think that our church will get right if we do this externally, if we do this physically. There was an inner joy and an inner contentment that only came from being around Jesus and being with his people. And they said, that is enough. In verse 46, it says, day by day they did these things. And notice how verse 47 ends. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Here's the principle that I'll leave you with. As they lived obedient day by day, the Lord added day by day. We're not sovereign. We can't save. We can't convert the heart. But we can be faithful day by day. On the days we don't feel like it, on the days when we do feel like it, on the days where we don't want to read our Bible, and the days that we just want to point with a crooked finger at people, be like, I don't like people. You know, I mean, just all of those days in between. We can wake up and we can say, you know what? I know the Messiah, and he knows me, and I'm part of his people. And so guess what, Lord? By your grace, help me to be faithful. And when that is the normative attitude of the church, guess what starts happening? Day by day in his sovereignty, he adds to their number those who are being saved. That's what I want. I want to be a part of church like that. And I want to believe that God can do it in our day. Went to pancake day yesterday. Some of you, it was your first pancake day. I'm sorry you've missed out for so long. Lauren and I went to the Y at the appointed time, which is when my father says he bought the tickets and this is when you show up. So got to the Y at 7.30. I always... I see a lot of people I know at the Y and so I was making the rounds and, but I, I don't know what it was yesterday. Like there was a table of like cross point people and uh, 
Adam Tress was there. If you don't know this about Adam and Michael, I've known them for, known Adam since he was born, known Michael since he was like two, right? Something like that. Yeah. And uh, Adam hadn't seen my mom in such a, he said, I didn't see your mom in a long time. I said, so I brought mom over there and I said, mom, here's a famous person. His name's Adam Tress. He does paintings that are known throughout the world. And so they hugged and got to catch back up. And so cross point people were there. And I said, hey, this is my mom. And, but, but something was in my, you know, in my soul yesterday. I just, I went, Lauren and I walked down and outside Lauren working till they had tents set up and buying some stuff and just cross point people, cross point people. And I know something just registered in me yesterday. It's like, these are my people, man. Like, these are my brothers, these are my sisters. And I get the fact we're all that way, but it was just like yesterday on pancake day, it may have been just been the pancakes. I like pancakes, but it was like, it's my people. And we got to take that serious. That he's our Messiah, but these are our people. And that's how the Lord works to start uniting getting us behind each other, getting us behind the same mission, getting us to move on. Lord, please make us like this in all our imperfections, in all our weaknesses. Continue to make us a church without spot or blemish to be presented to Christ for His glory. Lord, work in our weaknesses. Work in the times and places where we don't know what to do. Get us past merely the external. Confront our sin. Redeem our situations. God, save the lost. Create genuine awe in our hearts. Tear down disunity, Lord, and rebuild it. Rebuild unity. Bring devotion where there's flakiness. Help us to be faithful day by day because God, we want to see you work day by day. Lord, only you can do these things. So we sit before the Lord. What has he said to you in your word or in his word this morning to your heart? If you don't know Christ this morning, the message of the gospel is repent of your sin and believe the gospel. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'll be at the back. Justin will be at the back also. Ryan's here, Paul's here. If you need to talk to someone this morning about knowing Jesus, we'd love to talk to you. Come grab us, grab us after the service or during this song. If you're a believer and you need prayer, need to talk about something, we're here for you. We'd love to, to talk with you and minister to you. We're here for each other. This is the church. God, take your word, apply it in our hearts that Christ may be glorified in our lives. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Let's stand. Lead us, Daniel.